Church family, it is so good to be with you again. Today we're going to conclude a sermon series called Taking Shape, in which we've been looking at how God will oftentimes use difficult seasons to shape us for his purposes. And I don't know about you, but over the last year, I may once or twice have experienced a difficult season. It was around February when I realized the Cowboys were not going to make it in the Super Bowl. It's the worst thing to happen to me in a lot. No, but seriously, over the last year, have we not experienced difficulty? Have we not experienced pain? And so one of the things that we're doing in this series is looking at how it is that God uses pain to shape us. We recognize because of Jesus that pain and loss, it's not meaningless, but rather it's often used by God for his purposes. And so we've been looking at what that means for us here at Desert Springs. Uh, Before we get into it, though, I wanted to tell you a little bit about this upcoming week. So uh, this Friday is Good Friday, and then Sunday, this next Sunday, will be Easter Sunday. And so I wanted to just give you a few notes about this upcoming weekend. Number one, for Good Friday, we're going to be worshiping here uh, in our worship center. We'll also be streaming online, uh, and we're going to have our Good Friday uh, reflective service. We're going to have a time of scripture reading, reflection, and singing. And also, as part of our Good Friday service, we will be taking communion together. Now, we're going to take communion a little bit different. Um, We actually have kind of these uh, uh, communion kits, and so if you're going to join us here in person, you'll be able to pick these up with the elements available for you. You'll be able to pick those up in the lobby as you come in for Good Friday. If you're going to be joining us online, we're going to have the communion kits with all the elements that you need available on our patio this Thursday and Friday uh, from 9 until 3 o'clock. You can swing by and pick up those communion kits so that you can celebrate communion with us this Good Friday service. If you're joining us online, again, for those of you who will be here in person, we'll have those available in the lobby. And then for Easter Sunday... We have three services. We're doing it a little bit different this year. Our 8 o'clock service will be outside. So uh, we'll be leading outdoors. Uh, We'll have a time of music, uh, an encouraging sermon, time of prayer uh, as we celebrate Easter. Again, the 8 o'clock service will be outside on the patio. And then our 9.30 and 11 o'clock services will be in here in the worship center. And it's the 9.30 and 11 o'clock that will be streaming online. So we are not streaming our 8 o'clock service, but we will stream our 9.30 and 11. We'd love to see you here. Now, uh, if you uh, picked up some, uh, some of the Easter invite cards, I'm glad you've got a hold of those. If you didn't get a chance to get those, you can pick them up out in the lobby on your way out today. Uh, and my encouragement would be that you would use those to invite someone to join you for uh, Easter celebration. So this is uh, last year we weren't able to gather in person for our Easter services. I know many of you who will be joining us online are still not yet in a position to be able to do that. But for many of us, uh, we'll be gathered here, uh, whether that's outside or indoors, to worship together. And I know that there are people in your life that would uh, be blessed and would find the time to be an encouragement. So I would encourage you to use those uh, to invite others. And so today we're looking at uh, the book of Exodus, we're concluding our series, and we're looking at this idea of God shaping us for a purpose. In fact, uh, I want you to know that according to my understanding of the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of Scripture, is that even though it's painful, even though it's difficult, you and I, when God allows these seasons in our life, that he shapes us for a purpose. Just like the potter to the clay So too, God uh, pokes and prods, God puts pressure into our lives, even cutting things away for a purpose. God has shaped you for a purpose. 
And we've been discovering that over these last few weeks, but today we're going to zoom in on specifically what that purpose might be. And we're going to look at uh, the example that we find in the book of Exodus, specifically uh, in the story of God taking his people out of slavery and bringing them into what's often referred to as the promised land. And so we're going to jump right in. This is Exodus uh, chapter 19. Uh, And now this is God speaking to his people. So the story thus far is this, that God, uh, through in the book of Genesis, God picks this guy named Abraham and he says, Abraham, through you, I'm going to make a great nation. And from that nation, all the other nations of the earth will be blessed. And so there's this unfolding story of how God is working in human history to, through the family of Abraham, bless all the nations of the earth. But there's this plot twist at the end of Genesis. You see, the the family of Abraham, through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed, uh, they uh, experience a famine, they go into uh, Egypt, and then when you open up the beginning of Egypt, one of the things that you discover is, and everyone's ready to gasp, that this promised people, this people of promise, uh, they're held captive in slavery. And so we're all beginning to wonder, is God going to be able to fulfill his promise to bless all the nations of the earth through this one chosen nation? Because they don't even have a land. They don't even have freedom. They are enslaved. And so in the book of Exodus, God uh, redeems his people out of slavery through a series of uh, painful and yet miraculous Uh, works of God. In fact, the celebration of Passover uh, is a remembrance of God redeeming his people, Israel, out of slavery in Egypt. And so he takes them from slavery, but he doesn't take them immediately to the promised land. He rather leads them through what's generally referred to as the desert wandering. They're wandering around for 40 years. And in this season, God is revealing himself to his people and in so doing also shaping his people for their purpose, the purpose that he has for them. Now, As best as I understand the scriptures, the majority of people who are following God through the desert don't really know a lot about God when the story begins. They just know he's the God of their ancestors. And they're asking all the questions that you and I ask about God. Namely, what is God like? What's the character of this God? What are the values of God? Is God for me or against me? These are natural questions, right? Come on now. These are very natural questions. When you're thinking about God, you're wondering, is he nice? Is he mean? Is he for me? Is he against me? What would it be like to follow that God? I mean, these are all the natural questions you have about gods. And so this people group is uh, learning about who God is, his character, his values, but also God is shaping them in this season for a purpose. Now, let's see if we can discover what that purpose is. Here in Exodus 19, he says this to this people that don't really know much about him. If you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples. Although the whole earth is mine. Isn't that such a boss statement? He's like, I'm selecting you out of all the nations of the earth, which is also all mine. Uh, One theologian many years after this was written said that there's not one square inch that Jesus does not claim mine. So, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be, now notice this, and this is weird, you will be to me my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Now, isn't that weird, that phrase, kingdom of priests? Okay, 
One of the reasons why I think maybe we think it's a little bit weird is because it's mixing up two things that oftentimes, especially for those of us in the West, that we, we separate. Namely, a kingdom which is made up of subjects, right? A kingdom is made up of citizens, but like priests, you're not a priest to a kingdom, you're a priest to like a religion or a temple or something like that. And yet here, God is revealing himself to his people and he says, if you follow me, if you obey my commandment, if you obey my covenant, I'm going to make you a kingdom, a whole people group of priests, not citizens, although we are later called citizens, not, not subjects, but priests. And so we might ask the question, what does a priest do? That's a great question. Thank you for asking. Yeah, so let's talk about what priests do. There's a lot of things that priests do, but the basic uh, idea is this, is that a priest's job is to reflect the nature, character, and values of the God that they serve to the people around them and to intercede or to pray for, to support the people around them uh, to the Lord. And so one of the key functions of a priest is to live in light of the values, the character, the calling uh, of the God that they serve in public so that others would look at that priest and know more about the God that they serve. A job of a priest is to put the character and values of the God that they serve on display for others to see. And if you think about a priest displaying their God in public for others to see, one of the things that you'll begin to understand as you read through the book of Exodus is this is one of the ways that the people of Israel were a blessing to all the other nations because as the other nations looked in on Israel, they learned about the one true God, or at least that's how it was designed. What kind of questions do you think people would ask about God? Well, they would ask things like, well, here's the Israelites. Uh, what's their God like? And their answer would not come from the reading of scripture. The answer would not come from a blog post. The answer to the question, as other people looked in, what's their God like? They would discover their answer by looking at how the people behaved. They looked at the community. They said, that, that community is putting on display their God's characteristics. So what's the God that they serve like? Just look at their community. How does their God call them to live? And again, the answer would not come primarily as the outside nations are looking in. The answer's not coming from reading a blog post, uh, attending a seminar. They're just watching how the people of God behave. And in so doing, they are forming their understanding of the nature and character and values of the God that they say that they serve. That's the job of a priest. One of the questions that they might ask is, is the God that they serve better than the gods I serve? By the way, you know there's a lot of gods, don't you? I know out here in the West, we kind of think, uh, you know, we think we're monotheistic and there's only one God and all that kind of, but there are tons of gods. We just call them by different names, sex, money, power, etc. You see, a God is anything that we give our hearts completely over to. The interesting thing about all the other gods is all the other gods demand that we give them our life. And the interesting thing about Jesus is he gives us his Is their God better than the gods I serve? And they're going to discover that, the answer to their question by looking in on the community. Should I follow their God? Right? The surrounding nations are looking at Israel, and one of the questions that they ask is, should I follow their God? And they're going to come up with an answer based on how they're watching that community behave and put on display the nature of God. Finally, if I was to follow their God, or at least begin the process of following their God, how would that impact me? Would it be a blessing or a curse? 
Would I be welcomed or would I be condemned? If I was to choose to pursue their God, would I be blessed or cursed? And one of the ways that they're going to answer that question, one of the key ways they're going to answer that question is not looking to a holy text, not logging on to some sort of podcast. They're going to watch the community. You see, they're going to look to the priests and they're going to say, the priests are people who are putting God on display, at least the God that they serve. And I'm going to want to know, what's their God like? How does their God call them to live? Is he better than the other gods? Should I follow their God? If I follow their God, would it be a blessing or a curse to me? So who are these priests? And one of the interesting things about uh, this text is, uh, who specifically is the priest? All y'alls, right? If you are a citizen of Israel, if you are a child of Abraham, according to Exodus uh, chapter 19, you are called a kingdom of priests. God is not just saying there's one person that's a priest, but you're a kingdom, you're a whole people, your whole people group, you are priests. Now, let's push it even further. You guys want to have some fun? I don't mean real fun. I mean like seminary fun, <laughs> church fun. I mean real, you know, I mean you guys get what I'm saying. Okay, so uh, check this out. If you want to know uh, like the epitome, like the, the, the priestiest priest there ever was, like the high priest, the, the, the like archetypical priest, one of those characters uh, in the scriptures would be called Aaron. Aaron was related to Moses and he is uh, the, kind of the first high priest. And there's all these commands in Exodus. If you've ever tried to read the Bible through a year, uh, Bible in a year, uh, right about February or March when you get into Exodus, this is where you start skipping right? Because there's all this stuff in Exodus, which is just telling you how the priest should dress, how the priest should behave when they come into the temple. It's very confusing for many of us, but I want to cut right to the chase. This is, I think this is so beautiful. Uh, so it's in this section in Exodus chapter 28, where uh, there's commands given to the priest about how they should adorn their body when they operate as a priest. Check this. You are to make a pure gold medallion and engrave it. Okay, so we're talking about jewelry. You guys got me so far? You're to make a pure gold what? Medallion. Okay? Pure gold medallion. And you're to engrave it. You're going to write something on it. Now, check this. Like the engraving of a seal. Have you guys ever seen, like, the old-timey letters? Maybe some of the hipsters in the room have this, where uh, you put, like, wax on the back of an envelope, and then you put your little stamp on it? You guys ever seen this phenomenon before? Help me out here. Okay, so that's called a seal. And you could put like your initials on the seal. You could put like property of on the seal. You could actually put the image of a seal on the seal. So it's a seal seal. You could do all sorts of things, right? But, but if people know that that's your mark, what you're communicating by stamping something or sealing something or, or uh, engraving something is you're saying this belongs to, or this is property of, you know, Caleb Campbell, right? So uh, if you guys, so I, I, I grew up in the 80s, uh, Jansport, backpacks, and we wouldn't have anyone, okay? Okay, we took that Jansport, we went to school, and we put our name on it, property of, right? There was this little label that you could do, property of Caleb Campbell, that's my property, right? We stamp it, we seal it, we engrave it. Notice what God says. You are to take a pure gold medallion and engrave it like the engraving of a seal, holy or set apart to the Lord. To put it another way, the priest walks around with a giant gold medallion that says, property of God. So that anyone who looks at the priest knows beyond a shadow of a doubt who it is that they're representing. They bear the name of Yahweh or God on their forehead. Do you see it? Okay. Many of us are asking, when's the cool part? 
Okay, that's okay, that's okay, I'm aware with you. Notice it'll be on his forehead. Have you guys ever heard of the Mark of the Beast? Yeah, okay, so like, it's come up a few times in the last year. Usually when, especially in American society, for some reason, we're just like, we're just intoxicated with talking about uh, and completely misunderstanding and misrepresenting, in my opinion, uh, what's generally referred to as the, uh, the end times of the apocalypse. Uh, by the way, if you've ever read Revelation and been freaked out, don't worry about it. The end of the story is Jesus wins, be at peace. Okay, that's, that's it. That's the end of the story. That's why Revelation was written, is to bring us peace. Now, there's this one weird thing when we talk about the end times and all that kind of stuff where we say, oh, is this the mark of the beast? Don't take on the mark of the beast. You guys ever heard that before? Okay, pause on that thought. Have you guys ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Okay, the Ten Commandments. There's one of them that says, and it's usually used by upset parents to tell their children not to use foul language. And they will quote the commandment that says, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, right? I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap. Obviously, I'm speaking from very traumatic experiences, <laughs> right? The command is don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And usually when I heard that applied, it's don't curse. And I think, I, you know, I, I could see that's part of it, but boy, is that missing the point. Because one of the things that we're forgetting is this command was given to a people group who were called to be a kingdom of what? priest. And if you're a priest, you bear the name of the God you serve. So that when other people look at you, they say that person, that community, that community belongs to God. What's that God like? Well, look at the people who bear his name. And in fact, uh, Carmen Imes, who's a brilliant, brilliant uh, theologian and author, she really uh, helped me understand this in her book uh, on uh, the Sinai account. She says that perhaps a better way to translate it, a way that's more uh, helpful to us, is instead of saying, don't take the name of the Lord God in vain, it's don't bear the name. In fact, the next time that that word is used is here, where Aaron bears the name of Yahweh, and the command is to the kingdom of priests, don't bear my name in vain. Do you see? Isn't that much more? Isn't that so much more robust and all-encompassing than just don't say words that make people upset with my name in them? I mean, don't bear my name in vain is, requires my entire life. Okay, so you get this command in Scripture. Do not take the name. Do not bear the name. Because if you're a Jesus follower, if you're a follower of Yahweh, you bear the name. Now, that, you, the mark of the beast thing, have you guys ever heard of that before? Okay, a lot of people are saying, is it a barcode? Is it a credit card? Is it a vaccine? No, I don't, and here's the other thing too. You, I, you, as my reading of scripture, you cannot accidentally take on the name or take the mark of the beast. You remember how Yahweh stamps with his mark his people? You remember that? High priest, gold medallion? Okay, to take, to bear the name is to say, property of Jesus. And that call in Revelation to, to abstain from or, or to, to be concerned about the mark of the beast is, is basically a call to, for those who say, I'm taking on the other God's names, right? And the beast is usually referred to as an embodiment of the other gods, sex, money, power. And so it's a call to turn from sin and turn to Jesus and be marked by his name. Do you see it? Okay, so we could, that one was free. Let's get back to the text. Okay, what about us? Because we're not Israel, so what do we do? Great question. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, 
Pastor Peter is writing to a church. Some of the people there are Jewish, many of them are not. And in 1 Peter 2, he is telling the church what its job is. So if you're a Jesus follower, you're part of the church. Doesn't mean local church, just means the assembly of the saints, people who follow after Jesus. Okay, check this out. See if any of this sounds familiar to you. He's giving the job description of the local church. See if you know where he's getting his material from. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, or a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, God's special possession. Have you heard anything like that before? Anybody? Where, where have you heard this before? What book of the Bible? Exodus. Do you think Peter's intentionally taking the principles from Exodus and applying them to the church? I think he is. Now, notice what he says. That you may do what? Come on now. Deca that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What is the job of the church? It's to be a kingdom of priests stamped with Jesus' name on our forehead and living as mirrors of his character and values so that when other people look in and say, what's your God like? They don't read a blog post. They don't even pick up the holy text yet. They just look at our community and say, their God must be like that. By the way, this is what's happening all the time, whether we know it or not. There's an old song that says, they will know that you're a Christian by your love, by how you mirror the values and characters of God to a community that's looking in. You see, one of the reasons why Jesus uh, put the church together, put his followers together as a bunch of misfits, frankly, with nothing in common, like us, hello? One of the reasons why he put us together is not so that we could be disappointed with each other or be angry at each other or be frustrated with each other. It's so that in the midst of that anger, frustration, disappointment, sadness, and confusion, we might live the gospel and put the character and values of Jesus on display with how we treat one another, how we interact with one another. We are communicating within the church the, question, the answer to the question, what is their God like? How does their God call them to live? Is he better than the other God? Should I follow their God? Uh, how will this impact me? Will it impact me for blessing or for curse? And here's the gospel. You get it right there in first, oh man, first Peter 2, that Jesus called us out of darkness into what? Into the light. Here's the, here's the good news. Though religion, as Westerners generally understand it, says if you get your act together, if you clean up, if you do all the right things, then God would love you. You guys ever heard that story before? Though that's what most uh, religion, uh, religious understandings in the West are proclaiming, Jesus came saying, I love you more than you could ever imagine and I will give my life for you. You see, all other gods demand that we give them our lives. Jesus is the only God who gives us his. And this is the good news, because every single one of us have turned and gone our own way. We've all turned from God in rebellion, and we've turned to our own sin, to our own self, idolizing some other thing or even our own self. We've turned from God, and he has the choice. I could just destroy all the rebellion, or I could do a work and redeem my people and praise be to God that he chose to redeem and restore us. But that redemption and restoration, that turning from sin and turning to him, when we repent and believe in the gospel, he doesn't stand there saying, clean up first, bud. You know who Jesus says yes to? 
anyone who wants Jesus. And you know what Jesus says you have to do first before you turn to him? Nothing. Now, does that mean that we don't obey Jesus? Oh, of course not. See, religion says, obey God and then you can be accepted. Jesus says, I accept you purely by my grace and I want you to follow and obey me. And one of the reasons why we follow and obey Jesus is because he's made us into a kingdom of priests who are putting his character and values on display. So how do we do that? Uh, you guys want to go hard on the paint or no? Keep it light? Get angry? What do you want to do? Option two? Okay, great. Awesome. How do we show what God is like? Well, in all aspects of our life, we strive to live as he lived. This means caring for people, even the ones we don't like. Mending broken relationships, even when it's awkward and uncomfortable and even when we don't want to. Forgiving as Jesus forgave us. Making peace, especially in seasons of crisis and pain. Loving as Jesus loves. Living fearlessly, living generously with our, our time, our talents, our resources. It means living as Jesus lives. So when other people see that we bear the name of Jesus, they say, I wonder what Jesus is like. Well, you look at this person. Two, we show how he calls us to live. Uh, yeah, so let's do this. Um, especially in places where it seems the most dark, especially in places where it's dim, which is always uncomfortable, isn't it? I mean, there's this beautiful imagery of uh, Jesus followers being a light in the midst of darkness, just as Jesus is light in the dark, that we're a city on a hill. We're here representing Jesus to the communities around us, and where Jesus needs to be represented is everywhere including the places that I don't want to go. So I'm going to just give you a couple of quick examples. And if you want to talk more about this, man, I'd love to talk to you about it. Um, there's, there's so much confusion and chaos, but I, I feel compelled to, to say this. Um, uh, the summer of last year, something happened in Phoenix that I have never seen before in my life. In my, I'm, a born, I'm a native Phoenician. Uh, I watched our city engage in public protests for months. I've never seen that happen before. Some of y'all are from around here. You, we've never seen anything like that. And of course, there was a lot of chaos and confusion, but one of the things for me is just my heart ached is here are throngs of pre people, and for many of them, they were crying out for justice. It was immediately following the death of George Floyd. They're crying out for justice. And I started gathering with some other pastors. We'd connected on Zoom at the time. And, and one of the things that we talked about is how do we live as priests in this moment in our city? How, how do we bear the name of Jesus well? And this is a decision we make. So I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to compel anybody else to do this. I just want to tell you, I'm trying to live this out. You guys with me? I'm just trying to live this out. I'm just telling you how it works for me. So I felt uh, the conviction to be a peaceful, Jesus-centered presence on the streets as people are crying out for justice. And here's something that, uh, two things that happened. Number one, every time I was present, I heard Jesus' name publicly proclaimed. Like downtown Phoenix in front of the Capitol building, I heard it. And I, there, were, there was one occasion in particular, and I, I'm not, okay, so yeah, okay. Um, 
a handful of times has, have I been in public where I've palpably felt the presence of the Spirit of God. And one of those times was when we were there. And I watched people who generally have written off Jesus because they've written off his church, giving a hearing to a gospel message being proclaimed in one of these public demonstrations. And so I was just, I was reaffirming that. I said, I'm going to be present. Now, there's a lot of stuff going on that I didn't agree with. And, and I'm just, uh, I don't mean this to be trite, but man, Jesus never seems to be bothered by guilt by association. Like the people he had at his table, he, he didn't seem to care. And so I've tried to take that approach. Again, I'm just trying to tell you about how I've tried to live this out. And here's something else that's occurred to me over the time. One of the things that I keep, I don't know if you guys have heard about Karl Marx. <laughs> Uh, Marxism, communism, socialism, these are names that keep getting thrown around, and, and, I, and I take that seriously, but, I, but I'm hearing people argue in public spaces and, and on social media and on news outlets, and there's, if someone cries out for justice, there there's, tends to be kind of this immediate response of socialism, you know, communism, Karl Marx, and, and here's where I'm at. Those are important conversations. But as a Jesus follower, as a priest, as a bearer of the image, of, as a bearer of the name of Jesus, here's a question that I don't think we're asking. Why is our community, who is hitting the streets and crying out for justice, finding answers in Karl Marx and not Jesus? For me, I fear that one of the reasons is, is because they are not in proximity to Christians who are helping them see how Jesus brings justice. I think that our community is starving for justice and reconciliation, and they're not seeing Christians lead the way. And so I believe that Jesus has shaped us as a kingdom of priests to put on display the truth of the good news of Jesus, which means that we're entering into those difficult spaces. Here's another one. It's very quiet lately. Here's another one. Uh, there are, to the last count I just heard earlier today, uh, uh, 14, over 14,000 kids that are wards of the state who are in foster care who do not have a bed to sleep in tonight outside of the government providing them one. One of the things that I hear in public spaces, and, and, and rightfully so, is that Christians stand for the right to life. And I'm there with you, man. But 14,000 kids need a place to sleep tonight. There's part of me that wonders, is there 14,000 Christian homes in this community that would put on display that everyone's welcome at my table-ness of the gospel? You see, I, I, I fear that there's an overemphasis on how we vote and an underemphasis on how we behave. An overemphasis on the politician that we elect and an underemphasis on trying to live the gospel on the ground. Here is how we put the gospel on display. Not by how we confidentially go and fill out our ballot. Not by who we beat our chest for and say, this person needs to be elected. But in how we use these. Because there's a community that's looking in and saying, what kind of God do they serve? What is the values and character of their God? And for, for me, I'm so, I just, I love our church family. There are so many within our church family who've done foster care and adoption over these last decades. I've, I've met many of you, and, and I know that it's such hard work, but I know that there are countless families around the valley who are Jesus followers who have opened up their home, engaged in that difficult step. I know that it's not for everyone, but I know all of us have a part in it. 
I know all of us have a part in it. Whether that's supportive, whether that's fundraising, whether that's advocacy, 14,000 of our kids. So one of the things that our church family is doing is over this, uh, we are right now in the process of training up our leaders, our volunteers, putting infrastructure in place over the summer. We're going to continue to do this so that we might not start a foster care or adoption ministry, but that we might become a foster care adoption church. That everything about our church family is here to help and to serve however we can, especially in this space of foster care and adoption. Not only because each one of those children are made in the image and likeness of God with inherent dignity, worth, and value, but also because it's a way to put the gospel on display. I mean, do you know that you are called adopted sons and daughters of God? Adoption is one of the prominent metaphors of following Jesus, to turn from ourselves and to turn to him. So we're going to lean into that space. There are many of us who are asking the question, what would it look like to follow their God? You're looking at us, you're looking at Desert Springs, saying, what would it look like to follow their God? Would following their God be a blessing or a curse? So I just got two things. One, I know that people who say that they're followers of Jesus, who bear the name of Jesus, hurt others. And we are no different. I'm going to make you 100% guarantee about Desert Springs Bible Church. Are you ready? You can write this down. You can take it to the bank. You ready for my 100% guarantee? I 100% guarantee that you will be sinned against by people in this church. I will likely be the worst offender. And here's why I can say that. One, I read my Bible. And the majority of the New Testament outside of the gospel accounts is pastors writing to people saying things like, stop sinning against each other and believe the gospel. There's another reason. I know my own heart. I don't want to do it, and yet I do it. I'm not Jesus, and neither are you. And Jesus has brought us together as a bunch of imperfect misfits, bound together not by our common affinities, not by our political affiliation, not by our favorite sports teams, not by the music that we like, not even by our upbringing but bound together by nothing more than the love and grace of God made known to us through Jesus Christ. And so we're constantly making mistakes. We're constantly sinning against each other, but here's the rub. We put on display the gospel and how, what we do after that. When we reconcile, when we seek forgiveness, when we strive to give love and grace to one another. So I'm going to ask that if you're, if you're looking into Desert Springs and you're wondering what kind of a God do they serve, don't look at the fact that we sin against each other. I'm telling you right up front, we do it all the time. Watch what we do after. Because we're trying to be a community that lives as a kingdom of priests putting the gospel on display. And when we make mistakes, when we fail at that, we're going to step into grace and we're going to lead from that space. But two, I want you to know this, that it was about 20 years ago that uh, I met Jesus at this church family. And so I know what it's like and one of the things that Jesus used to call me in is he used relationships. He used people who invited me in way before I got my act together. They're in this room right now. They're wondering, when is he going to get his act together? But it was through relationships that they brought me in. And I belonged before I believed. And then I found myself believing. And in light of that belief, I found myself becoming 
a Jesus follower. And so I just want to encourage you, wherever you've been, wherever you're going, you are welcome here. And it is our hope that we would just put Jesus on display as you pursue and seek after him. Two, for those of you that are Jesus followers, you and I are called to be a kingdom of priests. So I'm going to ask you this question. Who is God calling you to reach? Who is God calling you to reach? Many years ago, as a church family, we engaged in an exercise. We had heard about a church who was building uh, a new building. And before they put the final drywall panel on their new worship center, they said, hey, before we put the, the final panel on, we're going to leave it open. And we're going to write the names down of people that we love, people that we know, people in our community who have yet to believe the gospel. And we're going to write their names down. We're going to put their names in the wall so that every time we walk past these walls, every time we walk into this space, we will remember and be reminded that this is not just about me, but Jesus wants to use me as a priest to reflect his goodness, grace, and character to others. And it's a reminder to pray that every time we step foot in this place, that it may be that God is calling us in that moment to pray for the people whose names are in the wall. And so we loved that story, but we thought, hey, our building, it's it's already built. (laughs) So one of our elders took a big sledgehammer and punched that hole in that back wall. And we engaged in the same exercise where we took pieces of paper and we wrote down the names of people that God was calling us to reach out to. And we folded them up and we put them in the wall. And we've been doing this for a few years now. We're going to do that here in a moment. In fact, I'm going to ask that in the back of the seat in front of you, there's a prayer request card. Would you take that card out now, please? For those of you that are in the bay, I believe there's some in the very front section and also on the table in the back. But if you would take that prayer request card, even if you don't plan on using it, would you take that card, please? There's pens there in front of you. And one of the things that we did, just as we had heard, is we spent some time praying and asking the Lord, who are you calling me to reach out to? to be a representative of your grace too. And we wrote their names down and we've done this exercise a few times and we put it in the wall. And one of the cool things is this, is that over the last few years, there have been people who have been baptized here. In fact, there are people in this room and there are people watching us online whose names are in the wall. And so I'm gonna ask you, who is God bringing to your mind that you might be a representative of his grace too? I'm going to invite the band to join us here. They're going to lead us in a concluding song. But as we are in this space, would you consider who is God calling you to reach out to? And would you write their names down? So I'm going to pray for us. Would you join me as we pray? Lord Jesus, you call us to be your representatives, a people who live out your values and your grace, a people who put you on display. And you have put people in our lives Lord, you've put people in our lives that you're calling us to minister to, to reach out to. And so now in this moment, would you speak to us? Would you stir within us the people that you have placed in our lives that you're calling us to reach? So church family, I'm going to ask that you would listen to the Spirit of God in expectation that he will speak.
and that you would write the names down. And then we're going to sing here in a moment. And then I'll come back with a concluding thought for us this morning. Who is God calling you to reach?
Church, if you stand with us as we sing and give praise to God for his grace and his love.
Jesus has shaped us for a purpose. And one of those purposes is to be a kingdom of priests, to put on display his grace in every aspect of our being. And he calls us to reach out. So as we conclude today, I'm going to ask that you would take those names. And as an act of commitment and prayer, that on your way out today, you would put their names in the wall. And let it serve as a reminder to pray, to reach out. I'm going to ask, too, I, I, I know uh, with social distancing and everything, so I'm just going to ask that we would trickle <laughs> over there and just please be respectful of people's uh, boundaries and space. Church family, I love you so much. More importantly, Jesus loves you more than you can ever imagine. And he loves the people whose names you've written down and wants to use you to reach them. Would you go and live, light, live in light of this truth? We'll see you next week.